Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because today we are wrapping up a trilogy. We have just finished reading the Powder Mage Trilogy by Brian McClellan, and the book we are here to discuss today in its totality is The Autumn Republic. Yes, and now we have the chance to discuss spoilers throughout all the all the trilogy i'll say Mm -hmm. if you've if you made it this far to our autumn republic episode then hopefully you've had the chance to listen to our promise of blood episode our crimson campaign episode Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think we're excited to get into a no holds barred conversation that uh, and all of it is fair game i'm looking forward to this charles because we've had not a ton of conversation about this book and how the trilogy finishes to this point right no we have not this was my first read through year second so there's a lot of um like series ending stuff we need to talk about character arcs completed all these reveals throughout this book that we want to talk through but before we can do any of that we need to get through one of your famous spoiler warnings i mean do we need to say too much more before we get into Uh, that i mean yeah we've tried to do a little bit more spoiler free stuff Usually in these episodes before getting into the deep depths of spoiler territory. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, a third book where so much of it makes sense to talk about a spoiler level. I'll say maybe all there is to get at is uh, I thought it's a very satisfying conclusion to Mm -hmm. this series. If If you've read the other two and you haven't yet read the third, then... I feel like Brian McClellan delivers. I mean, we know he is from the school of Sanderson and something that Sanderson is uh, famous for is his strong endings. They'll call it the Sanderlanch. And (laughs) I think that McClellan seems to have taken those lessons to heart in terms of uh, wrapping up each character's arc in a way that feels satisfying, although it does... Also, I think a lot of it lead into future books in the series or in the world because I haven't read those other books yet. I've only read this trilogy, but you can totally see how there's a lot left on the table despite the satisfying conclusion. And that's a hard line to walk. Mm-hmm. And I'd be interested to see where he goes with uh, with all of this in future books in this world i know there's a bunch of them but yeah, a lot I, of I feel pretty good and novellas and things. yeah 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 i feel pretty good with where it ends and i'm wondering if you feel the same charles no i would agree well said the only thing i'll add is just a really strong representation of military fantasy mm-hmm. and uh even you know what a lot of people are calling flintlock fantasy which is a relatively new genre for me i haven't read a whole lot of 
specifically, you know, fantasy with guns set in a more industrial era time period. Um, and I haven't read a whole lot of military, like, dedicated military fantasy either. And I think Brian McClellan delivers a really solid um, series in both of those fronts, just a really great representation of the genre. And I think that's why these books always pop up in top fantasy series. I think he formulated the series just right. It's like mm. coming up from the school of Sanderson and having all of that influence and reading people like Joe Abercrombie and all those really popular early 2000s, you know, genre leading authors uh, and then carving your own space in all of that taking all of that influence and building your military flintlock fantasy series really great formula really fun formula that he had the ex- delivered with an ex- exciting conclusion at the end which like you said Dylan can be so hard to live up to sometimes so yeah great great stuff highly recommend right. for all of you checking this out that haven't read the books yet it does feel free to check them out you you will not be disappointed they're very fun mm-hmm. yeah there's a way in which mcclellan's writing i mean this is the most positive way possible comes off almost like edgy sanderson which is yeah. still not quite edgy in a broader yeah. perspective compared to stuff uh, that we think of as more typical grim dark uh you'd think of things like mark lawrence's prince of thorns and mm. Uh, you mentioned Abercrombie, like pretty much all of his books, and there's plenty more in that all-out grimdark type of things. This finds a middle ground between the more, I think this is the right word, chast Sanderson yeah. style of mm-hmm. uh, writing. And then uh, you can see so much of the influence, especially in things like magic systems, but bring it more mm. toward uh middle ground and plotting and you and mentioned arcs the, and things too yeah, like and reveals yeah. and things lots of influence those there feel very sandersonian mm-hmm. yeah and then i'll say on the military fantasy front there's very it's interesting because you said oh i haven't read a lot of military fantasy and i was like i feel like we have to have read a lot on this show but we've, we've more read stuff for the most part that is of course, has military stuff going on in battles, but that don't necessarily fall as deeply into the military fantasy subgenre as, as this. Right. And I would say also the previous book in this series, The Crimson Campaign, where almost all of the book is dedicated to military actions and strategy and then, yeah. of course, mm-hmm. uh, battles. And I'll say that, yeah, the only ones I can really think of off the top of my head that are as much like this uh, straight up military fantasy, I would say The Heroes by Joe Abercrombie is yeah, military fantasy. And also, I would say The Dragon Republic, which is the second book in the Poppy War trilogy, is actually essentially all military fantasy. That's true. Yeah. Other than those two, I'm wondering what, what else would come to mind, but it might be a rarer thing than... There's, it seems. Oh, there's battles in, going on in other Joe Abercrombie works, but it's not like you oh, said. Yeah. The, the distinction is there. Like John Gwynn stuff. There's. I think that's more focused on but is it battles and fight fantasy, scenes yeah. than military strategy. I've read things like The Black Company, which is definitely military fantasy that we have yeah. not covered on the show. Game of Thrones, I'd say, has a lot of military stuff in it. Right, um, but I still wouldn't haven't say talked about that's that on the military show fantasy. No. Yeah, no. but would you, when recommending Game of Thrones... Of course, you'll discuss the battles and the war and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you could say, weirdly, also a book too, like Clash of Kings. 
feels yeah. as close as you're going to get to just saying this is military like fantasy. But even so, like it's so, yeah, there's so much more going on. Right. And right. This is so definitely dedicated that, yeah. to the nuances of military strategy, which is very fun. You know, like yeah. I was enjoying... Um, all the different scenes like in Crimson Campaign where they're being chased in the woods and they're trying to make traps. And then in this book where they have new powers at their disposal and how they use that and how they go up against stronger foes and things like that. So the the whole espionage of like, I won't get into it, but there's, you know, crisscrosses, double crosses, triple crosses, quadruple crosses, <laughs> you know, it's like it's happening all over the place here. So um it's exciting stuff for sure and, and uh, lots to talk about but he does it's, it's an interesting lens in which to look through flintlock fantasy is emphasis on mm. the military strategy and it's like i said it's it's um i i think it's the reason why it kind of sticks up as a solid recommendation just across the board for fantasy fans because of this comfortable niche that it fully delivers on right that's well said charles and i think that's all that there really is for us to say in the spoiler-free section. I'm going to give my patented uh, spoiler warning here, and we'll get into the deep depths. Let's do it. So you probably, yeah, you probably realize that if you haven't yet read The Autumn Republic or the previous two books in the Powder Mage trilogy, then eh, we're going to get into that right about now so this is a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you fall into that category we haven't yet read anything else in the powder mage world besides those three books so we wouldn't even know how to spoil future books if we wanted to so you don't have to worry about any of that you can stick around if you fall into that category well said dylan and and like I don't know where you want to start, but for me, I think the first thing we have to talk about now that we're in the spoiler-filled zone, you've been warned, is Field Marshal Tannis um, and his whole story. Because this is really, at the end of the day, kind of his his series, right? Like, he's yeah. the main character, and in this book, he's, you know, returning to Adro and fighting... Um, like to save the capital that's been in basically taken over by by the enemy and there's a lot of political stuff going on that ultimate there's some good battle espionage stuff too and we should probably get into that but i'm just like still kind of reacting to the obvious biggest um most grandest spoiler and um kind of ending moment for this whole book is the the death of field marshal tannis as well which i thought you know what a great way to end the series like here's a character that pretty much exists in this conflict and is the embodiment Mm -hmm. of the conflict and the only way to really move on is to um leave him like in the era great way to like send him off great way to send off the trilogy i like putting the two together to me was uh poetic uh justice poetic beauty if you will yeah totally agree totally agree that it's field marshal tamis's series beyond anyone else's and that's mm-hmm. so well stated that uh, he he's kind of yesterday's man by the time that all this ends and we're moving forward into the time of the republic and mm-hmm. In that sense, it makes uh, it's very reasonable t- for him to die and for it to feel like that almost has to happen mm-hmm. for the country to move forward 
it's it's a kind of thing where uh, there's even moments where you know they don't want Claremont to become uh, the first minister of the republic and then people are talking about Tamas and they're like well if he's if it looks like he's gonna win like field marshal tamas isn't gonna allow that to happen he's just gonna march in here and he's gonna take out claremont like that if you don't think that's gonna happen you don't know field marshal tamas and then i forget who it is but it's kind of uh, someone replies like yeah i actually don't think he would do that even though that's in his nature because (laughs) if he does that he's destroyed the idea of the republic where you actually do get to vote in someone and right. it's like he's weirdly created a world that he no longer fits in given his yes. nature is one of oh i don't want this i'm charging in with the military and i'm destroying everything i don't like so it's right. almost like he would not make sense in the world he's built <laughs> and that's an interesting way to phrase it because he is the one that instigated all this change mm-hmm. in the very beginning he beheaded all of the he killed all the cabal and beheaded all the royalty. Like he was the agent of change, right? And it was his vision to create this Republic. And he's been fighting these battles since the beginning. And you think of, for all you uh, American history buffs out there, George Washington, you know, uh, Mm. (laughs) the cherry tree. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And uh, he's, uh, you know, I saw Hamilton. So, so you know, not that then, the territory yes, was in all that. you American history or <laughs> Hamilton buffs out there may be familiar with George Washington, who was a military hero, so, you know, led the revolution and ended up becoming president. But it's it's one of those interesting things of like, and it and it kind of mirrors what maybe this theme of how to successfully transition power or progress in an era. It's like it it takes the um, foresight. And the sacrifice of people to see the vision and not necessarily make themselves part of it, which I think is part of Brian McClellan's genius in this ending and also his antagonists who are immortal and want to maintain power forever and like oppress people. So you have those two things going up against each other and you have Tannis who's always been kind of right, always been the golden boy, always been, you know, doing the right thing to realize, hey, my time is over and even though the gods want to keep me around and they love working with me and all the kings love working <laughs> with me and all the people love me and stuff it's like i was just here to shake things up and create that be that agent of change and, and now i'm ready to hand it off and that is a really interesting statement on the transition of power and how a society can progress that i think companies military fantasy really well so i was overall very pleased with brian mcclellan's and impressed with brian mcclellan's ending that's really well said, Charles. And I I love the George Washington comparison. I think that's super apt because Hamilton fans and history buffs mm. will both remember that George Washington, and this is true to history, uh, sang a song called One Last Time. Uh, that, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> that right. I think I remember reading about that in, in our yes. history class together. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that was his final address to mm-hmm. the nation. And it was basically about this idea that, like, he could keep running for president over and over again and keep winning the presidency over and mm-hmm. over again. And of course, Hamilton wanted him to do so because mm-hmm. Hamilton was the right-hand man 
Mm-hmm. But Washington knew, like, a person like me, I'm almost, like, too big of a, a like, hero in people's minds and too big of a personality where I need to actually set the precedent that I'm not going to run again. And Mm -hmm. then people will know, hey, this is a republic. This isn't just like, I'm not just King George the whatever I would be because his name is George too, you know? It would be the first, I'd assume. (laughs) Well, yeah. No, but there's the actual, wasn't King George the actual king in England at the time? So mm-hmm. it's like I'm making like a joke, but I don't know the numbers. See, so he's like, I'm not just King George the Fourth, right? Like I, I have to show them a president is different than that. And though mm-hmm. Tamas doesn't as like deliberately display that, and he wasn't ever elected uh, the first minister, which feels very president y. Uh, um, he does kind of. Uh, like move on <laughs> be it through right. there is in like the accepting scene, there is death. this acceptance yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right and he's i think he kind of knows as long as he were around in this new republic even if there is a first minister people would still view somehow field marshal as being above first minister as long mm-hmm. as tamas is alive so uh, uh you said it feels poetic that it ends this way for tamas and I, I totally agree. I think Timus had to die. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be as satisfying mm-hmm. a conclusion, even if we love him. And it's like tragic seeing him die in his son's arms. Uh, right. Yeah, there's uh, there's an acceptance from Tamus. And I think the uh, for a lot of readers, myself included, there's a sense that of acceptance because I'm like, he does kind of have to go at this point. Well said. I mean, is there anything better for the FTF podcast when like character development and thematic development come Mm -hmm. together and then also have this greater kind of, uh, you know, stance on the transition of power and change and, and all of these other things is it's, it's surprisingly rare, I would say in fantasy, even though we love to talk about how every story book has a theme and this and that, but it's like to, interlace all of these things together so well and so completely and focus it on this one moment that is Taniel's um, death or uh, Tannis's death not Taniel's um, and, and to focus it all on that point is really strong not an easy thing to do as an author and I'm, I'm, I respect it greatly so now is the the most exciting part of the book for sure yeah and I think that the ending is is most exciting from pretty much all the characters' arcs. I think all of them come to a reasonable place. You, you did mention Taniel, even if it was mistakenly. <laughs> and interesting along the same lines, Taniel chooses to fake his own death and uh, leave, you know, run off with Kapole into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And he chooses to do that primarily because he doesn't want to be viewed as uh, just Tamis too. And mm. uh, we've known for a long time that Tanya is not Tamis. Like you see how it just, it feels actually very authentic to like a son and his father, right? Mm. Like there's going to be things you see where you're like, Oh, that's so the Tamis side of him. You definitely got that from his uh, dad. 
but there's also ways in which he doesn't take to leadership in the same way that uh, that Tamas did. He always kind of fit more into the guy who wants to go rogue and do his own thing and fight against the leadership. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he'd know what to do if he was in charge. And right. uh, and he's he shown kind of that he up. hasn't kind of fit well in the wheel yeah. of politics by pretty much getting himself court-martialed the minute his dad wasn't around to protect him. Right. You know? But I don't think he'd fit well at the top of the chain either because I don't mm. think he really cares about commanding other people to do stuff. He's just right. never really shown a desire to do that. He mm. uh, he just goes and plays hero ball as or they would fight say. the battle <laughs> in the political realm and not yeah. on the front lines like killing stuff. You know, no. it's, he's more of a literal guy that. in that stance too. Yeah, so it makes sense. He does one final act of going rogue by pretending to die and Mm -hmm. uh, leaving because he doesn't really... He makes sense from the war hero angle of, uh, like, this is a popular candidate, but he basically makes one appearance at a... (laughs) uh, Like, an event to try to promote Rickard's campaign and... Then by the end, he's just like, I hate this. I hate everything that just happened. Can I leave? And (laughs) that's what he does is he leaves. (laughs) Right, exactly. It kind of reminds me of like, again, for all you history buffs, but maybe not Hamilton buffs. This is a little later. But Ulysses Grant, (laughs) who was like a war hero that became up. No, not in Hamilton. Um, Unfortunately. So it doesn't even exist. But um, you may recognize (laughs) him from the uh, $50 bill. He's on the 50 uh, $150 bill. He's on the 50. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, not exactly a fame, uh, a loved politician, but a famous war hero who was known for being all chummy with the troops and, you know, wearing the same uniform and, like, being on their level and had this huge war hero status and not so much in the political realm. And he was also, like, out, like substance abuse and stuff as part of his career as well. So, um, really interesting parallels to be had uh, on that as well. But in this case, Taniel has the foresight to be like, politics, not for me. I'm out of here. And the other thing he decides to do is spare the life of Juline, which is mm-hmm. also kind of the culmination of his thematic character arc as well of where he's always chosen violence and a solution is to run into the front lines and kill stuff um, was to spare this person that had asked to kill him, you know, at one point and made her, made him promise to kill her. And she's like, Oh, uh, JK, I changed my mind. And he's like, okay, cool. And that's, <laughs> you know, the ending there of choosing not to choosing peace over violence, you know, essentially. Right. He does turn to the camera and he says, mm. no, I think there's been enough bloodshed for one trilogy. And that's, that's how <laughs> Roll he <moves>. credits. <laughs> <laughs> we gave you the promise of blood in book one. But how about the promise of peace? That's wow. what he said. And then he put his sunglasses <laughs> Just like on George, right before yeah. he delivered that line. And then the who's like, yeah. <laughs> That is what he said, uh, just as much as uh, the truth is that George Washington sang his final address mm-hmm. um, as he said goodbye to the nation and, and retired to the fields of Virginia. 
<laughs> Correct. Yeah. The the only killing was done <laughs> right. uh, in George Washington's performance. Right. That's the. Oh yeah. Shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> really slayed there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, in terms of actually ending lives, this one time Daniel decided not to, and but was important was it was the last time, so that that made it important, and uh, and uh, yeah. he's 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 good from there. And you have Laura at the end mm-hmm. describing them as oh ghosts of the past of this idea of like this whole bloody campaign, if you will, to get to the Republic, right? What was the acts of a dying generation of a giant a dying way in which we conduct ourselves politically and you know as a society and and now we're this is a new age essentially right and it's that's what's interesting about the idea of future stories in this world because you wonder how Daniel is still alive it's hard to imagine that his arc is completely over with and then Mm -hmm. i left and it's like how does he fit into this new world how does couple fit into it we don't really know but we do have this idea of how flora fits into it and she is uh, she's the general at the end i believe or she's basically Mm -hmm. the number one military person uh, in the country by the end of it and I think, you know, it's tough because we've talked some already about Vlora feeling like something of a lost opportunity as Mm -hmm. a character. Like, I feel like her place in the story has always been one that feels very interesting, but something's just missing in terms of fleshing out the depth of her as a character, at least in this trilogy. Like, she's always kind Mm -hmm. of there, and she she's a part of the things that Tamis is doing and it makes sense that she'd be going on to be the person in charge of the military by the end because she's basically been studying under Tamis this entire time but she just very rarely does she make herself known in a way important to the plot she doesn't really have an arc in the way that we're talking about, like, oh, Temis's arc is so poetic the way it ends. Like, Daniels totally fits with his character and how things have gone. And then it's like, Vlora, well, I guess it makes sense because, like, all the other military leaders are dead and or Daniel <laughs> ran away and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I guess I see why she would be in that role. But it's like, ah, like, I just wish Vlora got fleshed out more because I think this could have also been a super poetic end to a character arc, but I don't know. Not, right, especially part... because of where she ends up as the leader yeah. of this new world. It's like, well, who even is she really? We know that she's had a complicated history with both Tannis and Taniel, kind of pushing those relationships from, from like a social perspective. And she was the only one that was able to kind of push back against Tannis uh, and like stand up to him and be kind of a bit of out of order as a soldier but um telling him what he needs to hear some ways and we got that somewhat like you said so it would have been interesting to have gotten more time with her but um you know i think this book is so much about ending 
on ending Tannis's arc that just there's someone that fills that role and maybe we'll get to know more in future installments yeah. and it opens up the potential to get to know that person but i think Tannis and Taniel had to be out of the picture so that we can focus on it maybe as part of where we're going but i agree i wouldn't have minded more of a focus on on her um mm-hmm. another character i wouldn't have minded more of a focus on who actually is a pov character is Nyla, who has a very interesting moment relatively earlier in the book. I think even more exciting than like the end of her arc is when she first takes her skills to battle and just burns thousands of people alive at once, you know, and it's described (laughs) as like, oh, she's been training she hasn't quite figured it out yet and then all of a sudden she gets pressured and then she's like wow and she just you know wipes out an entire army and shifts the whole tide of the battle and you're like oh okay and she's just kind of like coming to terms with what she's she's done and i don't think she had is this kind of this interesting moment where she realizes later and she's trying to like sum up what she's done and make sense of what she's done and it's a long time with her arc dedicated to her dealing with that which i was really enjoying and it's probably the most entertaining part of her entire arc throughout the whole trilogy i don't know what you thought dylan yeah for me nyla burning thousands of people to the crisp to a crisp was very cathartic uh <laughs> which sounds odd to say that so many deaths but they're nameless characters so it's like yeah, whatever. Uh, it felt cathartic to me because it's been at that point like two and a third, two and a half books of Nyla as this character that's like full of promise uh, mm-hmm. and full of potential and all these things that she could become and could be, especially once we find out that she's a privileged. And then it's just like we haven't seen it. We haven't really seen it. And Bo is promising how amazing she's going to be. And she's going to be the most powerful, privileged we've seen in centuries because she doesn't have to wear gloves. And then she just unleashes all of that onto <laughs> onto these, these poor, nameless characters. And it's just like, yes, like, finally, <laughs> this is coming to fruition. I've waited, like... Uh, over a thousand pages for this to happen well over a thousand (laughs) pages Uh, and uh, it's it's exciting and i i like the idea of nyla as a character that is in some ways like physically at this point more talented and equipped to handle these situations than anyone but mentally she just isn't quite where she needs to be yet not from an intelligence standpoint but from a preparedness standpoint because all these other privileged are being like trained from their youth and nyla's like i'm just a laundress from the two rivers and (laughs) i (laughs) right Right. except the difference between her and uh our favorite uh shepherd from the two rivers is that we completely buy that naya nyla would be struggling with that because we've seen two and a half books or at least like two books or so of her mostly being a laundress so it's like (laughs) i completely see where you're coming from when you are struggling with all all of this and uh it's like traumatic for you when 
Maybe that's not the case for some other characters where they try to make it seem like they came from really humble beginnings and they would really be struggling with everything they're struggling with. It's like we've seen it from Nyla. We've seen her do the laundry. Yes. Oh, yes. And we've seen her kind of get like steamrolled, kidnapped, forgotten about, rendered powerless, all this yes. other stuff. Like we, we've seen all of it. So it is – it's it's kind of interesting to see someone being thrust into the center of power that's not used to it and is having all these very human and natural reactions to killing a lot of people in mass where um uh adam it's like hey can you do that again <laughs> like we or, or, no tannis tannis excuse me is like hey can you do that again that'd be super useful <laughs> and uh, like i can move you like a piece on a chessboard right to the front <laughs> and uh, she's like that was horrifying i hated that <laughs> so it's kind of funny <laughs> to to see how those two kind of come at each other and he's even like the laundress wants to come to a political meeting like what's going on here so all of that was was very fun. Um, one of the things I wish we, and I guess maybe this is you know that sequel potential that we've been kind of touching on is like the true nature of her abilities, like why she doesn't need gloves, right? Because uh, we know, like we did get the reveal at the end that all of these gods are really just really powerful, um, really powerful mages, yeah. right? They're not. Can I say something on that, Charles? Yeah, go ahead. That's treated like it's this big reveal at the end, but that's been in the it's like that's been clear from like the first yeah, book. Been, Didn't Adam like in the form of Mihali say that like in the first book? He was <laughs> like, he basically that's the part said that's like, confusing well, to me. Like it's hard to explain what we are, and to say God is just much easier for you guys to understand. So let's go with God. Was pretty much. But I, um, I swear, if you listen to our past episodes, like we're talking about how yeah, they I wasn't like what? Said that like, they're just super. Like, yeah, it wasn't. It does like feel like it's supposed to be a reveal, but it's. I, I I think it's like literally said by either Mihaly or. I think like there's more insight into the idea that hey, these are just also random people that were from a certain age yeah. that just happened to be wielding crazy power, and. You know, the whole point of this book is that, hey, leaders need to succeed power and let the new generation kind of do their thing. And these are literally immortal human beings with too much power that are causing destruction. You know, like <laughs> like how many um, really old people in politics do we find frustrating today? You know, it's one of those <laughs> things like get out. All right, get out. <laughs> like let the Vloras of the world come in and let's see what they can do. You know, like. I don't need an 80-year-old person, you know, coming in here trying to do all this crazy crap or a hundred and million-year-old person. So there is that implication and you see <laughs> and you see Nyla um, having those – showing those same signs. But you don't – it's never said that the two are connected. But you almost – you can't help but wonder like is Nyla someone with the potential to be a – god or whatever we're calling a god like what is the story behind all this and all we get is the confirmation that they were people once that just have a lot of power and we we don't really understand how or why or like even with nala specifically what's going on with her why she's special in terms of her magical abilities and all these other things like is it something in the water? Is it a freak chance? Was she chosen? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's the water, yeah. She's having some of that sweet, sweet Poland spring water from, <laughs> from Maine. Something in that laundress water that just uh, yeah. 
um, some detergent her got, innate abilities. Yeah, <laughs> some detergent got in her eye, and it it gave her magic powers in the same yeah, way. She just has uh, microfibers of clothes Spider-Man. that mimic gloves that make her be able to right, use she's, magic. That must be it. She's handled so much fabric already in her <laughs> yeah. life, Charles, that she doesn't need any more uh, over <laughs> her hands. It maybe they're just like it's all stuck to her hands anyway, and she just doesn't realize she's not wearing fabric as protection. Uh, right. I think we're onto right. something. I, that would be quite the twist. It would be a very <laughs> right, sci-fi <we> reason. <laughs> <laughs> all the macro really... particle, uh, boson particles yeah. of the clothes from all the laundry. <laughs> None of the other privileges yeah. have ever done laundry before, so they have to wear gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and you see all of a sudden all these privileges start doing laundry all the time and to, to try and yeah. break free of the gloves <laughs> and... Like everyone's clothes are super clean now, <laughs> right, Charles? It's also the a price of soap on, becomes super high. <laughs> yeah, it's also a statement on how a privilege in our modern society can result in lack of basic life skills, like ability mm. to do laundry, and how that we can actually are on to come to. Oh yeah, and how that Quickly, can come to get Brian McClellan on the phone. We need. We'll to, he needs we'll to know him. this. Yeah. <laughs> and Charles, how those lack of basic life skills can actually cause them to be weaker uh, in the end than the people who do learn them. I love that. Bring a little classism into the mm-hmm. thematics discussion here. I love that. Yes. Yeah. It, McClellan, you can have that for free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what he wants. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, like, yeah, the fans would love to read that that's the source of Nihilus powers. She's just so good at doing laundry that she was able to develop superpowers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's Nihilus for you. I, I will say that the, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about that line that we talked about that McClellan walks where he he leaves a lot of that kind of stuff open-ended yeah where you might expect hey if and i think sanderson probably wouldn't do that like i think sanderson would probably if he revealed oh this character can doesn't have to use gloves when all the other characters who do what they do has to wield gloves like he is telling you the answer to that by the end of the trilogy and I think that's that's a difference that McClellan shows here, where McClellan's like, nope, you're going to have to read uh, like a future series in this world if you want that. Or maybe, I don't know, I don't know if it's ever revealed. But Sanderson takes those kind of, I think, uh, those kind of things as promises that he will deliver an answer that's satisfying by the end of, you know, that series. Well said, yeah, it's... It's it is satisfying and you can tell that he has a lot of sequel potential and a lot of stuff planned. I know that he's written a lot of short stories and stuff and more books in this world and I, I you can tell even from these like the this first trilogy how much he's planning to grow and expand this world. So I um I'd be very curious to can see where he kind of picks it up and how he gets the whole uh powder mage universe you know built out and extended but um the powder verse 
the powder verse yeah it, i it, it does kind of sacrifice the trilogy but it gives it more sequel potential so there's a bit of a trade-off there i, I think nyla kind of suffered from that trade-off a little bit would have been more it would have been nice to know like what is up with her in the first place like but we'll continue to wonder and and check out more books from from brian mcclellan for sure to to find out definitely well charles that leaves adamat as a character to talk about and also i think once we get through that there's probably a a couple loose ends in terms of twists to talk about probably mostly around the idea of the uh, you know the gods at the end the dueling gods and Mm -hmm. uh, how (laughs) how our big bad evil guy claremont was actually a god the whole time all all that kind of stuff we'll get into Mm -hmm. but uh let's uh Let's not do Adam at Dirty first and talk about his arc. I think Adam at's an interesting character because he's the, of all the point of view characters, once Nyla really gets going, Adam at is the only one without super badass powers. <laughs> like <laughs> his, uh, we've got basically just powder mages and the most powerful privileged in centuries coming into her own. And it's like Adam at has a good memory (laughs) and it's yeah it's interesting to see him try to find his place in a world that is just uh, like chaos constant fighting and he even gets himself in a couple situations where it looks like okay maybe like he maybe he's dead because we've got like uh, uh at one point a black warden which is like half powder mage half warden mm. and he ends up getting attacked by this uh, you know monstrosity and he notices that the warden is missing a i believe ring finger and that is uh, a clue to him that oh my this is this is my son (laughs) joseph because i know he showed powder mage uh potential i know he was taken by the kez and i know he's missing the old ring finger so he's he is an inspector he can put it all together that this is probably his son who he's been searching for who he's like used his favor with Bo to try to help him uh, locate this has been like a book plus of this being probably his main goal you know he's doing Mm -hmm. a lot inspecting but he if he could have one thing it would be find his son and he has but not in the way he wanted to so he like yells joseph's name at it and then it like runs off like a frankenstein's monster like mm. with his uh, like hands over his head like confused or whatever that's how right. i'm picturing it right. <laughs> and uh, the other yeah, thing that they we're... set up nicely was he has perfect memory right so there's moments where adam right. that's like he wish he could have any kind of doubt but his perfect memory he just recognized the face of the warden and the face of his son and they're like they're the same and we through that you know through that connection, we're able to know that that this is real. It's not one of those moments where you're led to believe that this is not really Bo or, or not, I mean, this is not really Joseph. Um, this is, could be anybody, but he's like, nope, I have perfect memory and I, uh, yes, it's really him. So I thought that was a nice touch to kind of remove any doubt while also kind of 
referencing something we've already known about Adam at this whole time. And it was it was a good reveal. It was like you you feel bad because there's just no good solution at that point. <laughs> like you couldn't imagine anything more horrible to happen. You can't. And Adamat sees it that way, too. He sees it as a fate worse than death. And it's interesting to watch him grapple with that. And he eventually decides on telling Bo, hey, I want to renegotiate our deal. Instead of finding him, I want you to kill him and kill my son. And that is that's. An interesting play. You learn some stuff about Adam at he's a man who's pragmatic and he's willing to have that happen. Uh, you get this interesting psychological stuff with him that I appreciate. And other mm-hmm. than that, he's always kind of played this role in the story of the story has a lot of mysteries, a lot of things that are big questions that we need answers to. And Adam at has always kind of played the role of the like slowly revealing the things that we need to know to uh, like give us answers, but also raise more questions uh, that are going to move the plot forward. And he kind of keeps playing that role here. And I guess that actually leads pretty well into his, how he ends up finding out about Claremont and, uh, Claremont and uh, is it Cheris, I believe, Uh, their true identities as uh, the god Brood and Mm -hmm. Brood's two shadows or whatever. I don't know. His two, he was, they were conjoined twins and then Kresimir separated them and and they're not happy about it. (laughs) No, they're very upset about it, actually. And uh, yeah, it, it, C-H-E-R-I-S, Cheris, yeah. I, I would say it that way. Yeah, and it's all part of, like, for Adamat, you're, like, his ending, right? It's like, like at what point is he going to, like, be done, you know, retire, go home <laughs> with his family? Is he even capable of that, you know? Can he ever be the one to kind of put down the the trail and, and just be happy with his family. And I think having Bo being like unable to save at all, it is kind of a nice way to be like, okay, this guy's technically done. Like he's saved his family of what he could save. And like, he's let go of the pieces that he can't like, this is time for him to, you know, retire, you know, what a great moment. And yet there's still these things that compel him like, or that are needed of him from his country to, continue to do um i can't really remember what like the last scene of taniel's uh uh of um adamat's was i'm trying to remember like i know i think he well confronted i don't know if it's did he really seen. get like his moment like tennis and taniel no. did or he just kind of was <laughs> like he was in a scene and that was also his last scene i feel like right. was kind it's of like, happened uh... to him <laughs> You know how they say, like, you don't, it's like being a a parent. There will come a time where you will lift your child for the last time because they're going to get too big and eventually Mm -hmm. you stop picking up your kid. 
physically picking them into the air. But you don't know when <laughs> the last time is that you're going to do it. So right. it's like at some point you put them down for the final time. That's reading the final Adamat chapter. It's yeah. like you don't know it's the final Adamat <laughs> chapter when you're reading it. But there right, was right. a time where you stopped reading Adamat chapters. That's uh, kind of what I remember. You hope time. he retires nicely with his family. I, 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 I do I feel- know. I do know what happened. What happened is, and it, it is not like some big moment, but it does fit with this where he is talking to Rickard and Rickard is like, I'm going to need you and your wife to play some like bureaucratic role in my new republic. And well, actually, he's like saying, oh, I'm going to Rickard's like, oh, I'm going to hire you again. And Adam is like, dude, I cannot take on another job as an inspector like my wife will kill me and then (laughs) ricard is like oh no well that would be a problem because your wife is already hired and it's not an inspector Uh, job it's like a bureaucratic role that probably will be way less dangerous and you'll it's basically retirement it's like when Lionel messi uh went to play uh, for the team in Miami soccer and he's like well this is still technically a job but this is a basically just a vacation and <laughs> I imagine that Adamat is in some cushy role uh, where Rickard is just kind of you know he's he's probably doing some work but Rickard is right. mostly just rewarding him and his wife for everything that he's put them through and everything right. they've been through so i see it right. that way that's a that's you know right. what the word charles you know the word i think it's yeah. sinecure sinecure i believe is the word sinecure i don't know that word a sinecure yeah okay you want to check that one up yeah uh, i don't even know how to spell it i'll ask you to check it while i I'll just react because i agree it's, he did take the nessie route because messy route because it's like um yeah how like what is retirement like for such a workhorse? You know, it, it's just a less burdensome job. <laughs> That's the retirement. <laughs> and the fact that his wife already accepted is that touching moment of like, this is how they're able to move on. And so yeah. that is a nice touch. I do remember that happening. I can't hear Oh, hold on. Hold on. He's trying to get the pronunciation on his phone to work. Listen Okay, carefully, give me everybody. one sec. This is good content. Listen carefully. Do you hear that? Yeah, play Cinecure. it again. One more. Oh, yeah. Sinecure. And what's Cinecure, the definition? A position requiring little or no work, but giving the holder status or financial benefit. That's how I wow. imagine the role, because I want I want it to basically be retirement for Adamat. Because That's true. It's kind of like I mean, when they gave the is, old voice of Mario the role as like Mario ambassador. <laughs> That's your job. Now. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay. There's basically a sinecure. <laughs> yeah. I know is. a word I, now. This is exciting. How do I get one of these? Golly. A sinecure, yeah. Uh, once FTF really makes it and then we get we replace uh, other people uh, like other people come in and they're the talent you know they're yeah. the ones actually doing the talking and reading the books all sure. kind of stuff I'll and we are fantasy talking ambassadors yeah no we're <laughs> so fantasy talking ambassadors, ambassadors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> located uh, out of Miami <laughs> right exactly <laughs> South Beach yeah that's where the um, ambassador headquarters is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Someplace warm. <laughs> Definitely. 
Okay, I remember that now. Cool. Well, that was adamant for you. Um, great <laughs> arc there. Loved all those investigative chops. You know, the thing with Bo, I think, was the most exciting, for sure, highlight of his arc, even though it was very tragic. But you're happy that him and his wife are able to work together and move on in the face of all the tragedy that they've had to experience. And I know his wife was dealing with a whole lot of depression and and things like that throughout the story as well. And they were trying to figure out like what's next for us. And, he, and Adam had kept getting offered jobs that she didn't like, and they were trying to find a dynamic. And it's kind of interesting. There was like a moment also where he couldn't wreck, like he always couldn't tell like who is like, couldn't tell his twins apart. And like, didn't, it was like this moment <laughs> where they highlighted memory. that he was kind of disconnected from the family that he's like working <laughs> so hard to like, you know, maintain. It's like you don't even know which kid is which. <laughs> and you got perfect memory, bro. There's no yeah, he's excuses. Got that memory. Point. You yeah. have to like look at them once. I mean it's like he hasn't looked at them once. But yeah, right. Yeah. He I'll oh I'll also say when it comes to these ideas of leaving threads open for future series in the world, Adamat and his wife basically adopt the heir to the throne. And then the question is was that like a right uh yakup right yakup yep. or something Yacob, like that yeah. yeah so he would be the closest living relative to the uh manhooch yep is that right that's a weird manhooch thing. yeah that, that's who he is it's weird when i say <laughs> when i say it aloud <laughs> it's i'm like, like doesn't can sound we say right. <laughs> yeah can we say manhooch on this clean <laughs> podcast you're gonna have to beat that out charles but uh manhooch was the looked easier to read it uh, uh manhooch was the the king and this is his closest living relative and there's all this stuff early on in the like first book where like the royalists found him and they want him to be the new king and Tamas took him and then uh what was the guy's name that uh, was like Bo tore all his limbs off you remember oh yeah um, that guy yeah the bad yeah guy. he was no good <laughs> he was bad <laughs> he had his wife too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, something like a V, but I can't remember. But we all remember that character in essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also captured uh, Jakob because he wanted to do stuff with it. So we had all these people who wanted to do stuff with Jakob. And then what becomes of it? Just, you know, gets adopted by Adamat and uh, his wife. So is that like a loose thread that could be a problem in the future? Or is that just like... In the end, Brian McClellan didn't exactly know Lord Vitas. By do the way, with Lord Vitas, thank you. Oh, yeah. Didn't exactly. Is it that McClellan just was like, "Oh, I still have this character." It felt like was important, but in the end, it's just like I don't know what to do with him. Who knows? We'd have yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's part of that sequel out. potential, right? It's like here's yeah. the rightful heir to the throne that no longer exists it's like is are some people going to come after him or does he get to live a peaceful life in obscurity you know it's 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 hard to tell but it's just another one of those spinning plates that has potential for a story in the future right yep. and you can definitely tell that brian mcclellan has a bigger picture in mind for where this this world is going to go and who knows no guarantee that this character will play a part in that but um you know, it's, it's interesting to, to see. Um, For sure. 
Uh, I would say the last thing to discuss, really, unless you've got anything else on your mind, Charles, really, is this, uh, just the reveals and the more plotty parts of the of the end. I know we talked about the character arc side of it, but just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, thoughts on these reveals around the god brood and uh, it was at Claremont was this god the whole time. But there's also another half, just all of that uh, kind of stuff. And then we can also just talk about, I guess, like the scene itself of how like Daniel, Tamis and Kapol all kind of combined to to kill Brood in the end. Yeah, you know, the Brian McClellan does definitely have chops when it comes to writing action scenes. And I thought this one was particularly exciting um the brood as a character is rather fascinating and the way it, like this god kind of entered the election and has another half that's conspiring and all of these other things um was a good face-off and then like to bring Cresimir back into the mix as well was kind of interesting and you get to figure out what's really going on it's a bunch of yeah. it's a quobbling family of siblings that hate each other <laughs> that have too that much power been, and yeah, time this whole <laughs> issue <laughs> it's just like kids in the back of the car fighting you know is basically the vibe yeah. that uh this this little sibling dispute has um you know there's also the reveal that um god that the chef god is still alive mihali 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 comes back as mihali the white (laughs) which you know (laughs) from the last episode i was like this guy is definitely not dead dude i don't believe it for a (laughs) second mihali the michelin star chef has arrived and um it's funny to watch him like take over a body and that body just like slowly gains weight you know you're like ah i see this is (laughs) this was a nice little some of the best personality development for a character you know like this character's fun and he's he's charming he takes over the scenes that he's in you know really fun character you can tell that brian mcclellan really had an affinity to to this character so no surprise that he has returned like you said dylan very much a a gandalf experience here um that it was just good lord of the ring spoilers for all you people in this in the tail end of (laughs) a book three of the powder mage trilogy who have not yet gotten around to experiencing lord of the rings either through the movies or the books you there's just been a slight spoiler uh implied for you but you are probably a very small number the statute of, of the limitations listeners. has yeah, been lifted uh, on that well one it's also fan, sure. that's what i'm saying it's like we're yeah. deep cut third book of the powder maid trilogy who's there but hasn't gotten around to lord of the rings i don't <laughs> but if they I hadn't then that reveal probably would be pretty exciting that a god oh, yeah. has returned you know like that's gotta <laughs> right. be an exciting twist for someone that hasn't read or i've never of. seen this before <laughs> <laughs> like wow what a exciting and novel concept that i did not see coming at all <laughs> but uh well, yeah they, they're out there and sorry for there. making fun of you if you are out there and I think one of the things that makes Tannis feel like this 
bigger authority, this like powerful presence, is that he is able to go toe to toe with all of these godlike characters. You know, he he is a powder mage, so he has some ability, but you always kind of feel like he's more down on the level of like he's a human that's able to play on the yeah. theater of immortal gods, right? And so this scene kind of lives up to all of that and to Tannis's legend almost is kind of coming to a head here where he's able to even compete, let alone fight and win in this arena where he would otherwise be like an ant to these people. <laughs> so it's really, really great to see his character do that at like be able to like go up against everyone at that level as well. It's a, I think one of my favorite things about Tannis is just the presence that he's able to command and also earn. It's one thing to be like, here's my main character. He's super awesome and better than everybody and everyone loves him. But it's another thing to command and earn that respect. And I feel like what makes Tannis such a great character is that he just does. And this is one of those moments where he's like really able to, to fight and it's admirable and it's you see why he's had this legend status yeah that makes total sense i think especially in the crimson campaign in the republic you see why tamas is considered a, a god amongst men uh, and he's able to pretty much play the role of a, a god amongst gods in the uh, in the ending here she he does he is of course Oh, like outmatched when it comes to fighting them and he's by the end of it he's like on the ground just uh basically all but dead and he does get his moment of if nothing else distracting the i think he yeah they're like i think he stabs one half uh, like cheris i think he stabs cheris in the leg or something like that and cheris mm-hmm. is like oh how like you think that bothers me i'm a god and that's when uh daniel is able to throw the gun over to Kapol, who finishes the job and you know props to Kapol for uh, she deserved to be the one that yeah. kills the right it's like she's been behind why Daniel's been able to like hurt gods and stuff in the past let her do it herself oh yeah and like she, she took on Cressamir last time like yeah. come on she's the only reason any of them are still alive <laughs> yeah. right yeah props to Kapol for finishing it off when it comes to the reveals themselves like I like Claremont as being at least half of Brood. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's cool because Claremont has kind of been the big bad to this even more than someone like Kresimir or anything because uh, he's just been torturing everyone with his decisions um, right. behind the scenes, especially Adamat. And he, yeah, I like the reveal he's a god because why not? All the, like, gods are hanging out doing stuff everywhere at this point so why not make the the biggest baddest uh <laughs> evil person in the story also be one uh cheris is kind of a random choice to be the other half it's like i barely remembered who cheris was like cheris was like a banker who who was like uh like rickard's lover so yeah, I don't know again, why a god again, would choose. Interest. Yeah, I don't know why a god would choose like 
banging Rickard Tumblr as as their main purpose in life, but to try it and was, um, infiltrate the opposition, yeah. I guess, because it was a running mate, right? So just getting in and being able to know all his inner workings and secrets and stuff, and passing that along, you know, a sp- yeah. spy essentially. I could see that. It just feels like there'd be something uh, more worth doing with her time. But whatever. Who knows what she was doing when not not with Rickard. And we've got this, yeah, this combination of gods here that are both, I don't know to what extent Brood is addressed in the earlier books, but... Uh, it's uh, I'm still okay with the fact that there's another god and another sibling around, mm. and yeah, I think it's satisfying at the at the end of the whole thing that uh, you know what's interesting though, yeah, is so these characters were legitimately just trying to win an election the old fashioned way, and they only really went like all in on screw it we're gods we're killing all the people in our way when they <laughs> lost the election which is kind of yeah. funny and and it too like the little speech that claremont gives at the end is like i thought the people could be trusted to elect someone who's actually here to unify stuff and to help and blah blah but now i realize that they're not so i'm gonna take it by force which is kind of interesting it's like the they were very machiavellian and the fact that like whoever we step on on our way up the ladder like it's fine but if they are to be be believed they actually were like had good intentions in terms of why they were doing the stuff they were doing and they wanted to do it in a relatively legitimate way so it's kind of interesting yeah. uh, no they it were is. Just and it's like very modern fantasy sake. right yeah it's very modern fantasy the trend you see where it's like i've got good intentions and not like horrible ideas uh, and yeah. I have the power to do it, but I'm, you know, also like, eh, kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Not wait till the next election or anything like that. Just kill them all right now. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> and the only yeah. other thing I'll say is it's, you had mentioned how Taniel and uh, Tannis work together in those final moments. And we had talked so much up until now of their complicated father-son relationship and you kind of feel like they get to exchange last words and actually work together in the end kind of out of a level of love and respect and acknowledgement of each other was how they were able to take these gods down and and instead of walking in Tannis's footsteps Taniel goes his own path and there's a nice finality to their relationship in that aspect as well it was one of my favorite Mm dynamics throughout the trilogy so to have it wrapped up where they're working together and say goodbye and move on is is it brings a nice element of finality to the trilogy that i enjoyed even if it has a lot of sequel potential you know it it did have Mm -hmm. those nice moments yeah and i think those kind of moments are why this isn't outright grimdark in the way of something more abercrombian or whatnot is in these moments it's like 
McClellan chooses in a more Sandersonian way to be like, mm-hmm. no, like my main character and his son, who's also a main character who've had the these kind of uh, conflicts, they get like Tamis lives long enough where they do get their like last words conversation and they do get the resolution that they're mm-hmm. both looking for. And of course, we've talked about Tam- Tamis more accepting it while in a more grimdark novel you'd probably get like you know that would be a like satisfying end to the arc that's been building for three books but instead the author chooses like and then Tanya walked up to Tamis and Tamis was dying but maybe there's gonna be some last words and he just like gurgles like blood or something (laughs) it's like and that was it and then he died and it's like, <laughs> see, like the real world doesn't always give you satisfying yeah. conclusions. Take that. I'm Grimdark, which we love Grimdark. But it's also we nice do. to have moments where uh, like, oh, we do get that satisfying conclusion and and we feel good about it. We do. We do feel good about it. It's nice they had that moment. And in the end, it, this is a book about achieving love and peace, you know, which is always a nice sentiment to have. Mm. Ringo like Star-esque. Peace and love. Yeah, I'm ending. Peace. I'm ending this series with peace, peace. and love. Peace, peace and, love. and love. I killed your main <laughs> character with peace and love. <laughs> yeah, that was really bad. That was not my best Ringo. Yes. After this, there will be no more killing with peace and love. Peace <laughs> and love. I'm warning you with peace and love. Yeah. No more killing. <laughs> exactly right. So, yeah, that's that kind of that wraps up the Powder Mage trilogy, Dylan. Very exciting. Um, I'm. This has been on my TBR for like what no, nine years almost since it came. But this <laughs> last book came out in 2015 so um it i just remember being like oh this guy went to school and like was a student of sanderson's and wrote this really popular book i can't wait to read it and and i'm glad that we finally did get to bring it to the friends talking fantasy podcast i had a great time i'm looking forward to reading more of brian mcclellan's work in the future can't wait to see how this world expands and grows and what more mcclellan has to say on military political machinations of the world i'm very excited Mm -hmm. i think you've said it all there charles i think Mm -hmm. there's nothing left to do except play that sweet sweet outro music there is nothing left indeed other than to say hey friends pitching fantasy i guess is next right we have to figure out we're going to read next now we've read gideon the ninth we've read the powder mage so exciting times ahead so don't miss next week's episode where we you know pitch some potential books to read on the show you're not going to want to miss it but until then like you said let's get that sweet sweet outro music pumping Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, let us like, engage with us over on social media. That's a really great way to give us support, and that's over at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end on Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even further than engaging with us over on social media, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can do over on Spotify, where most of you are listening. And to do that, for some reason, you have to click 
about at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast page. Then click that little star icon and then you can rate us. Why is it under about? Who knows? Hopefully Spotify will change that. But right now this is the way of doing it. On Apple Podcasts, you can also rate and review and that means you can write nice things about us which always puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that like you said dylan just listening thank you all so much for making it all the way to the end thank you thank you thank you and as always go forth and conquer friends